0: All right. If you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four. Yes, we are doing a sermon series on Jesus in the Old Testament, but we're starting in the book of Luke because in the book of Luke, Jesus is the one who shows us how to read the Old Testament. And uh, before I, before I drop my phone, Luke chapter twenty-four verses thirteen through thirty-five. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing with each other, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes, they were kept from recognizing. And he said to them, What's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before the Lord and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They, they were at the tomb early in the morning and, When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and and they found it just as the woman had said. But him they didn't see. And Jesus said to them, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ Should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village in which they were going, and Jesus acted like he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. God's people said. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this marvelous, wondrous, wondrous gift that you've given us that we can know you are speaking still today. And you've been speaking these words for quite a long time, and yet, what power they have, how applicable they are to us, how relevant they are to us today. And we're asking that, yes, your word is alive, but we need to be made alive to hear it. So, would you give us those ears? And would you let the word work on our hearts to till up that soil and to plant the good seed of the gospel so that we might bear fruit. Holy Spirit, do that work because only you can do it. We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. We love in our culture today, in our society today, we love New Year's resolutions, don't we? How many of you have started some New Year's resolutions? Uh, I'm not going to look at anyone, but maybe your mom told you that your New Year's resolution should be that you need to find a girlfriend. Um, Oh, um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Now, New Year's resolutions says something about our culture today, right? New Year's resolutions and how, how zealous we are to set them, it says something about our culture today. What does it say? Well, it says this. When we look at our lives, we realize things are not as good as they could be. And ultimately what we do is when we look at our lives and we say, well, I could get better at this, we're saying, well, then I really need to buckle down and do it. And then once I do it, things will be right. Maybe some of your New Year's resolutions have been things like, well, I'm going I'm to really get in the weight room this year, or I'm going to really get my classes together, or I'm going to be really organized and very productive. Or, for many Christians... I'm really going to do well in my spiritual disciplines and especially reading scripture. We love to make New Year's resolutions and they're not necessarily bad, but it just does show us this. That we long for change. But here's one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that actually it's not necessarily just new year new me, but truly it is new ears new me. New ears knew me because if you have the ears to hear what jesus christ is saying here it will absolutely radically change who you are and how you will live what jesus is doing here as he's on the road with these travelers is that he's showing them how to properly read the old testament the old testament by the way was the only bible they had during that time and jesus is showing them that the entire old testament is about me and when you have those new ears it'll make a new you go back to verse 13 three things we see here we must read scripture in light of jesus we must hear scripture in light of jesus and we must speak scripture in light of jesus first we need to hear scripture we must hear scripture in light of jesus Verse 13 through 16, we see that that very day, it says, and this is still the Sunday when Jesus has risen from the dead and he meets up with these, with these two guys. One of them is named Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other one. He meets up with them. But then look at verse 16, it says, but when Jesus got to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's kind of interesting. Here's the point that that text is saying. Some of you might be in the state where you say, well, if I could only see a miracle, then I would believe in God. Well, there's a problem with that logic because actually in the Old Testament, as we'll see, the Old Testament people saw plenty of miracles. As a matter of fact, the people of Jesus' day saw plenty of miracles, but a lot of them did not believe. And Jesus knows that. Because Jesus knows this. You don't need to see another miracle. You need to see the Word. He wants them to focus on the Word. And so their eyes are left blind. And so Jesus walks along with them. Look at verse 17. He just kind of butts into their conversation. And he goes, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And then they begin to look sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only guy to visit Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened? In other words, let me tell you this. Some of you might maybe doubt jesus and his existence or jesus and what he's done but let me tell you something Uh, when those events happened you looked more ridiculous for doubting them than you did for trusting them it's not a matter of if those events of jesus happened it's a matter of how you respond to them because they look at jesus and they go dude you must be off this planet if you don't know what happened to the man jesus of nazareth historical facts so jesus keeps talking with them And as they are talking to him, they're saying, look, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. But then our chief priest, they put him to death and they crucified him. And I look at verse 21, it says this, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was going to be the Messiah the messiah was something that the old testament had talked about that he would be the one to redeem israel but the way in which they were reading the scripture is that they did not see it happen because they thought that jesus was going to bring some sort of earthly political dominion that it was going to happen in their lifetime that the nation of israel the physical nation of israel would be restored and there'd be no more roman oppression and it'd be even greater than the days of abraham i mean than the days of david but the one who said he was the Messiah died. So how is that redemption, they thought? You see, the problem with them is that they're not reading Scripture rightly. They're reading it wrongly. And don't we do the same thing? And one of the reasons why we get, frankly, in our sad and despairing states is often because we read Scripture wrongly. Some of you read Scripture in a very self-centered way, that Scripture is only and mainly a book about you. You're the main character of Scripture. Or some of us read Scripture and Scripture is only the law. It just tells you what to do. And as long as you just do it, then you're going to be good. And that results in one of two things. Either it leads you into self-despair, or maybe you begin to outwardly do some things and you begin to think, I'm doing pretty good and these other people in this room need to get their act together. Or maybe you read Scripture like it's just good advice not good news. Or maybe some of you read Scripture. This is often what I like to call the Instagram Bible. It's just random tweets that you're good at spitting out random verses, but you don't know how to tell the storyline from Genesis to Revelation. When you read Scripture wrongly, you you will inevitably live wrongly. Everything in your Christian life hinges upon how you read the Scriptures. There's a Really old dude, basically over like almost 2,000 years ago. So he's pretty old. guy named Marcion. Uh, Marcion was not a good dude. Uh, he was really smart. But in his earthly uh, wisdom, he was actually very spiritually foolish. Because here's what Marcion said. Marcion was a guy who, whenever he looked at the Old and New Testaments, he said, Looks like the God of the Old Testament is just a very angry God. He's just a God of wrath but the God of the New Testament is a God of love. And so we need to kind of do away with the Old Testament and we need to embrace the New Testament. Um, That's wild. And they pronounced him a heretic. But you know what's interesting is that there's still some pastors who are saying that today. Some of you may have been in those churches. But Jesus is not saying this. Jesus is actually going to show us how to read Scripture rightly. Look at verses twenty-six through twenty-seven. Jesus says, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory?" In other words, Jesus, what is He doing? He's pointing them back to Scripture. What you would think? Well, why wouldn't you just reveal yourself and say, "Aha, here I am"? No, because Jesus knows where the power is. Even Jesus is saying, look at the book. Trust what the book is saying. And the Christ was prophesied to suffer all these things and then he would rise. And then he says this, watch this. This is one of the most important verses in scripture. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. That is a massive statement. You see, when Jesus says Moses and all the prophets, Jesus is saying, as he literally says after that, all the scriptures, all the Old Testament, that it is all a highway leading to him. They used to talk about Rome, how all the streets in the Roman Empire would all lead to Rome. And we can often kind of look at maybe North America and you can see that just about all the rivers lead to the ocean. All the Old Testament leads to Jesus Christ that's what he's saying when things were written two thousand years even before he was born of the virgin mary jesus is saying yes those things are about me when jesus used his word to interpret it says he interpreted to them the old testament it's actually this greek word where we get our word hermeneutics the study of scripture the interpretation of scripture And Jesus is showing them, look, I want to teach you how to read the Bible because if you can get this right, it's a game changer. Jesus is saying essentially to these men this you cannot let your experience determine your theology. You cannot let your experience determine your theology. You must know your theology and let that interpret your experience. Did you hear that? Because that is a massive truth for today. Because we're doing a lot of these things right now, and all it is is postmodernism. And we're letting our experience determine what we believe rather than letting our theology interpret what is happening in our experience. Picture your life like a mountain. And on the tip of that mountain is a very sharp mountain. And it's this, how do you read the Bible? And it is a steep slope on both sides. And if you're going to put more weight upon your experience, upon more of you and what you have to do, then it is a long, slippery slope down that hill into darkness. But if you put Christ and God and your accurate biblical theology on this side, then it is a it is a steep slope into glory. Everything hinges on that. Jesus is saying that He is the key that unlocks the door to the Scriptures. He says that these things concern Him. That all the Old Testament, when you look at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you can go all the way through it. It's all leading to Him. That's a bold statement. He is saying, look, when you look at Abraham, it's leading to me. When you look at David, it's leading to me. When you look at Jonah, leading to me. When you look at Zachariah, it's leading to me. It's all coming here. And that's how to read the Bible. You see, we kind of need to be like Kevin Bacon. Whenever Kevin Bacon, who is the star actor of the classic movie Footloose, whenever he shows up to a wedding... He will pay off the wedding reception DJ to not play the footloose song. Because people see Kevin Bacon, and they're like, Oh, it's a footloose guy. We're gonna, we're gonna pay the DJ, he's gonna do the dance. And he takes away the show. But Kevin Bacon will pay off the DJ, and say, whatever you do, do not play the song. Why does he do that? Here's why. Because Kevin Bacon wants the wedding to be about who it's meant to be about the bride and the groom. And when it comes to the scriptures, we need to be like Kevin Bacon and we need to realize it is not about me. It is about the groom being Christ and him saving his bride. That is who it's about. What is the Bible? The Bible is first and foremost about God and his gospel. It is about God first and foremost, and then it is about our duties towards him. But it is always our duties towards him in other words, it's not just what things we do or just things we can put into practice and it just makes our lives better, and that's great. The Bible is all about reorienting our lives to be orbiting around Him. The Bible shows me how to have a right relationship with God. That's what it's about. The Bible, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, that it is sufficient for all of life and godliness. In other words, God has given us His Word. So that we can understand how to live in this world. God's given us his word so that we can understand how to live in this world. Because God is the creator of all things. And if you want to understand how to live in God's designed world, where you need to look at the manufacturer. Now, I want you to to follow me here if God has given us his words that we understand how to live in his world and if Jesus is the main character of the word, then how important is Jesus for understanding how to live in this world? Amen? You will never be able to find yourself. You'll never, never be able to know your purpose. You'll never know how to interpret the experiences in this world unless you constantly look to Jesus. He's the main character. You see, seeing Jesus in all of scripture is like a carpenter's 90 degree L angle that you you see in some workshops, right? And whenever a carpenter is going to make floorboards, he's going to make that perfectly 90 degree cut. But if that cut is 89 degrees or if it's 91 degrees, when he starts stacking up those pieces of wood, what will happen? It won't fit. See, this is what we like to call a biblical worldview. When you read Scripture rightly, when Jesus is your L angle, when Jesus is your 90 degrees, then you will be able to see life as it's meant to be seen. But if you take Jesus out of the picture, then it'll inevitably be crooked. Life is meant to be lived through the lenses of Scripture. That's what the Bible is. What the Bible says is it says good news. It's not good advice. The Bible's good news, and some of you really need to hear this. Because some of you come into the spring semester after trying out the fall semester, maybe you slept around. Maybe you try to really hit the party scene hard, or maybe you try to really do really well, like in your grades, or in your intramurals, or in your OSU sports, or or whatever it is, or your resume, or what, whatever it is. You tried really hard, but inevitably all those things let you down. The Bible's not good advice, it's good news. And it's good news for sinners. And you can come to the Scriptures, and whenever you read it rightly, you can realize, I can find what I'm really looking for in Jesus. The Bible says that there's free grace in Jesus, there is rest in Jesus, there's peace in Jesus, and there is actual life transformation in Jesus. The Bible is a book that talks about one story. From Genesis to Revelation is one story about one God saving one people. One story, one God, one people. That if you are a Christian, that when you look in the Old Testament and when it talks about Israel, yes, it is talking about ethnic Israel at that time. But when we are born again and we come into Jesus, who is the true Israel, we too are Israel. And the promises of the Old Testament are our promises. See, that's an amazing statement. Because in Malachi 3, verse 6, the last book in our English organization of the Old Testament... Malachi 3, verse 6, the Lord says through Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. Do you know why that's amazing? When you look at the life of Moses, you can say, his God is my God. When you look at the life of Esther, who, by the way, was not very someone who was very put together, right? His grace towards her is his grace towards me. You can look at that God who has always been in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you can say, The way he was then is the way he is now. That's an incredible truth. One of my seminary professors, Miles Van Pelt, said, the New Testament is the answer key to the Old Testament. The New Testament is the answer key to the Old Testament. Imagine that you went to go visit some ancient lands, some ancient cities or a museum where you see all these relics. But if you didn't understand what those things were or how to, how to look at them or what their history was, well, then you'd probably just breeze by thinking that it's not very important. But if you understood what it was and you realized what the Mona Lisa was, then you would understand why people are crowding around it, stopping, and they're staring at it for as long as they can because they see wonder in it. And when you understand what Scripture is and when you understand how to read it, then you will begin to understand why for 2,000 years people have looked at it and said, praise the Lord, O my soul. You see, Jesus is the key. And it's when we have those new ears that we become a new me. We must read scripture in light of Jesus. We also must hear scripture in light of Jesus. Look at verse 28, how they respond. So they drew near to the village. They kept going to Emmaus, to which they they were going, and It's funny. Sometimes Jesus is really funny. Uh, He acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. I mean, I'd probably say the same thing too if I just went through the greatest Bible study or the greatest sermon the world has ever heard. (laughs) Right? Stay with us. And so as they're hearing the word, he brings them in the home and look at verse uh, 30. They were at the table. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Certainly a reminder of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus took the bread, he lifted it up to heaven and he blessed it and he broke it. It's a reminder of, of how he feeds his people. And what's amazing is that as he was literally feeding these guys in this moment, he's been feeding them spiritually. And when that happens, it says their eyes are opened. Now we're not... Merely just talking about their physical eyes, the eyes of their head being opened. But even more so, it's the eyes of their heart that are opened. When the eyes of your heart are open, this is something we call being born again. Another word for it can be regeneration. And it means this. That in your state of sin, you were dead towards God and there's no life in you. And what God has to do when you become a Christian, he has to raise you up spiritually from death to life. He has to give you new eyes to see, new ears to hear, a new mind to think, and a new heart to know. You see, when Jesus does this, he gives it to them for free. Do you see that? Look back at it. Do Do they ask Jesus to do this? Does it seem like they earned it? No, no, no. Jesus gives it to these guys for free. And that's what the gospel is. It's free. It's not one of these tolls that we have, you know, that's so frustrating when we drive from here to Tulsa. And if you don't have one of those passes on your car, then it makes you give exact change and it won't let you give dollar bills. It makes you give coins. And that is so frustrating because ain't no one got coins anymore. (laughs) But the gospel's free. The gospel is free. God does not wait for you to get your act together. He looks at you when you're dead. He looks at you when you're his enemy. He looks at you when you're unclean, when you're a sinner, when you've slept around, when you've gotten drunk, when you've run so far away from him. And he says, I'm going to raise you to spiritual life. Amen? Amen. Because if God does that for free, then that means when we become a Christian and whenever we start living life, we inevitably will sin again. And that means this, if he brought us to him for free, he's not going to let us go. Now watch this. He vanishes from their sight. Verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? It's an amazing statement. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now what is the heart? The heart, the Bible, when it talks about the heart, it is the center of who you are. It is your true identity. It is... The seat of everything about you. And when when Jesus, when it says that their hearts were burning within them, this absolutely fulfills what happens in Ezekiel 36 36, verse 26, where it says this. And I will give you a new what? Heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That happened for those guys in that moment. And you know what? Some of you might be happening to you. Some of you, it's happened to you just during the last year that I've been here and I've seen it. Some of you, it happened to you before you could even know it. But if you're a Christian, this happens to you. The same God of Ezekiel 36 is the same God now. Their hearts come alive, but it says that their hearts were burning. I love this word because In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it's the same word used in Exodus 3 verse 2. Watch this. This word for burn is also used here where it says, and Moses saw the bush was burning with fire. Do you remember what, what this is happening? What's happening here? Moses approaches this bush and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he realizes it's the presence of the Lord. Do you want to know what's happening here? as their hearts are burning in Luke 24? The presence of the Lord has come upon them. That's what happens when you become a Christian. God moves in. And when you hear the word, you hear Him speaking to you, and it gives joy. It gives delight. It even gives a longing. Their hearts were burning. Well, when were they burning? I oh, watch this. Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? Notice this. What has Jesus been trying to get them to focus on this whole time? The Bible, the Scriptures. It's when we focus on the Scriptures that our hearts burn within us. You cannot become a Christian without the Word of God. Did you hear me? You cannot become a Christian without the Word of God. Every time you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He makes you new. It's actually the same word used in Matthew 22, verse 11, when the wise men bring Mary and Joseph these treasures for Jesus. And it says, then opening their treasures. And that's exactly what happens in our hearts. Our hearts are are opened when the Scriptures open before us. Our hearts are opened and we see that Jesus is the true treasure. You see, this is amazing stuff, and it has very important implications. (laughs) Here's what it means In RUF, we have a massive core principle of Scripture. The role of Scripture is massively important, it is foundational to your life in this ministry. We preach the Scriptures, we teach the Scriptures. We evangelize with the Scriptures. We counsel with the Scriptures. We disciple with the Scriptures. We do everything through and with the Scriptures. Because that is God's power. That is God's speaking. You see, the role of Scripture for us is so huge. And this is what what we call something that's called a means of grace. A means of grace. Grace is given to us through the Scriptures. It's the grace of Christ Christ. To help us grow in Christ and it comes through the scriptures. Listen to what Martin Luther says. God is everywhere. However, he does not want you to reach out for him everywhere but only in the word. Reach out for the word and you will grasp him rightly. Otherwise, you are tempting God and setting up idolatry. That is why he has established a certain method for us. This teaches us how and where we are to look for him and find him, mainly in his word. We are people who look at the book. That's who we are. That's who Christians have always been. And that means this. We have a great need for biblical preaching. It's the reason why I preach on (laughs) excuse me on wednesday nights we need preaching matter of fact scripture talks about how preaching is the main way in which we grow in the faith preaching is the opening up of god's word and it's giving it to god's people and it's giving it in god's way good preaching is not just because someone can keep you awake it's not because someone's funny it's not because someone tells good stories it's not because someone's a really dynamic speaker who might even just quote a couple of verses here and there. Good preaching is God's message to God's people in God's way. It is God's message when preaching is immersed, unpacking scripture, that is what you need. You need the preaching of the word because that's how God speaks to you. Some of you say, Man, I really wish God would speak to me today. Look no further, fella right there that's it it's the primary way christians grow and that's why we emphasize it matter of fact there are many times when i've been counseling and i've had someone come to me and they talk about a lot of problems and one of the first things that i will often ask and this doesn't fix everything but one of the first things i will ask is well are you regularly sitting under the preaching of god's word and if they're not there's few there's a little little bit that i can do for you that's it Is that's how God speaks to you. Because in the preaching of the word, we preach Christ crucified. God opens blind eyes. That's why we have small groups. Acts 2 verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Christians are people who devote themselves to the study of God's word. That's why we have small groups. That's why you need to get rooted in a small group. Because we need the word of God. But Christians also, we... Use the Bible even for our own personal devotions. It's not the main thing, but it is important. Ezra 7 verse 10, one of the prophets in the, in the season of exile for, <clears throat> for Israel and Judah. Ezra 7 verse 10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Notice there's an order to this. He first sought to study it. And studying it led to obeying it. And then he taught it. Psalm 111 verse 2 says this, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Let's reverse that. When we don't study the word of the Lord, it shows we don't really delight in his works. Don't take that legalistically. But it is showing this. It's like when I love my wife. What do I do? I spend time with her. Because I love her. When I know the love of the Lord and I want to love the the Lord, I want to see him. I want to see my Savior. But as some authors greatly remind us, listen to this, certainly personal time in the word and personal prayer, among other things, they're wonderful. But these things are viewed as a supplement to the believer's participation in the corporate life of the body. If you're doing great in your personal devotions throughout the week, but you're staying up late at night and you don't get to church on Sunday morning, there's a problem in your life. If you can do all these other things, and you can make Sunday this massive, incredibly productive uh, Sunday fun day or Sunday productive day where you get all your homework done, but you just never meditate upon the preaching of the word, there's a problem. There's a reason why we have preaching... On Sunday and in the midweek, because we need it over and over again, because that's how God speaks to you. Go look at Romans ten. The University of Penn—excuse <laughs> me, not Pennsylvania, but the University of Penn—they made national news in 2013, 2014 after six students had committed suicide during a 13th month, a 13-month period. And so the university decided to do some studies on how this had happened. One author says this, their final report cited something called pen face. Pen face is defined as the practice of acting happy and self-assured even when you're sad and stressed. Don't be mistaken, there is an OSU face on this campus. Because you look at your life and you say, I must be a perfect student. I must be great at intramurals. I must be great at my sports, great in my club. And I must have a perfect social life. And I better look good doing it the whole time. And some of you are dying inside. It keeps going. Penn Face derives from the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular, and social endeavor. And after pen released... Its report, the New York Times, followed up with an undergraduate named Catherine DeWitt. And she recalled a moment when she was very upset after scoring in the 60s on a calculus test. The 60s. Uh, Your boy scored a lot lower on some calculus tests. Scored in the 60s. And she said, quote, Before that, I had a picture of my future. And as that deteriorated, because of that one exam, she confessed to the journalists, uh, I stopped imagining another future. A matter of fact, she would go on to say that she contemplated suicide after she saw a friend do it. Some of you have been there and are there. Because there is an OSU face on this campus. What does that have to do with hearing the word? Everything. Because when you hear the word, the word is not looking at you saying, put on the OSU face and keep it on. The word is telling you this. This ain't no masquerade. Take it off. You're never going to be enough, but Jesus Christ is enough for you. Amen? Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is enough for you in your failures and your successes. He is who you can put on. And it's when you see the Bible that way, when you hear the Bible that way, when you have those new years, it'll be a new you. <laughs> Lastly, quickly, look at verse 33-35. They rose the same hour, and they returned to Jerusalem. This is a 14-mile trip. It's a lot longer than I can walk right now. And they found the other 11 disciples and those who were with them, and, and they were saying, the Lord has indeed risen. Notice how confident they were that the Lord has risen because of the Scriptures. And he's appeared to Simon. And then they began to tell them more. And this is what it shows. This text shows us that we must not only read Scripture in light of Jesus. We must not only hear Scripture in light of Jesus. We must speak Scripture in light of Jesus. UF we have a goal. That we want to be an evangelistic people. And I hope and I pray that not only will all of us in here be evangelists. Because everywhere we go, we're evangelists. But I hope and pray that some of you will become missionaries. Even if you go to a place where we might not be, ever be able to mention your name or where you are. And the Lord might be calling you there. But as Isaiah says, blessed are those feet. Blessed are the feet who bring good news to those people. And as one of my seminary professors used to say, when we live the Christian life, we evangelize to people across the street and around the world. We speak Christ crucified. And God opens blind eyes. We do Christ-centered evangelism. We have Christ-centered testimonies. We do Christ-centered apologetics. We do Christ-centered preaching. We do Christ-centered teaching. We do Christ-centered grace. Not, here's five steps to get your life in order. Here's ten ways that you can have a great relationship. Here's 12 ways where you can really get your life together and look good on Instagram while doing it. We say, look, you're tore up from the floor up, but Jesus Christ is enough for you. We are constantly pointing people to him. We speak to everyone around us. Ask yourself, who's who's in my circles? Who's my family? Who are my friends? Who are my roommates? Greek life, sports life, neighbors, hallmates, club people intramurals classes everywhere we go who are the people there invite them one of the best things you can do is just simply say this is what one of the disciples did i don't know all the answers just come and see one of the best things you can do is just look at one of your neighbors and just say just come to wednesday night just come to sunday morning just come and see because we preach christ he opens blind eyes you see we need to be prayerful as we do this we must be a people we must be a ministry that prays prayer is like a deep sea fisherman's fish gaff i grew up going deep sea fishing and whenever you get a big fish you cannot just pull it in the boat You need a a gaff, which is this long pole with a very sharp hook on the end. And when that fish is brought up by the boat, you gaff it so that you can bring it into the boat safely. Prayer is our spiritual gaff. You cannot fish for God's people without prayer. You'll never be able to bring them in. We must be a praying people. When in doubt, pray. And be surprised at what God's going to do. Matter of fact, don't be surprised, because he does it all the time. When the evangelist John Wesley was returning home from a service one night, he was robbed, and the thief, when he was walking away from John Wesley after taking almost everything that he had, even though he just had a little bit of money and some Christian books, y'all might know someone like this, (laughs) the surprise robber heard John Wesley say, Wait! I have something else to give to you. I don't know if I'd do that. He says, my friend, you may live to regret this sort of life one day. And if you ever do, here's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And the guy walked away. Several years later, John Wesley had gotten done with preaching one Sunday morning. And as he was greeting people, a man came up to him. And it was this guy. And he was no longer a thief. But, a matter of fact, he had become a Christian. And he was actually a successful businessman. He was the exact opposite of what he was. And he said, thank you so much. And he, John Wesley said, no, 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 don't thank me. Thank him whose blood cleanses you from all your sins. All John Wesley did is he pointed him to Jesus. And that's what you need to hear tonight, that Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all your sins. When you have those new ears, it makes a new you. For Christmas, my dad got me this. as a compass. You can't see the writing on it. But on the writing, it says this. Always keep him, capital H, talking about Jesus. Always keep him as your true north. My dad's a deep sea fisherman. And he knows that when you go deep sea fishing, you better not lose true north. Because if you lose true north, you lose home. Jesus Christ is your true north. And the Bible is where you find your way home. And if you don't read the scriptures in light of who Jesus is, and if you don't run to Jesus, then you can work as hard as you can. You can do all you want, but you'll never find rest. You'll always wear that OSU face. But Jesus, and all of him in the Old Testament, all of him in the New Testament, he is who you long for. And you can have him for free. Just believe. New Year's makes a new you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by your word and by the Spirit, that you would graciously, patiently, mm-hmm. compassionately, but yet sometimes for us knuckleheads firmly, help us to see Jesus. Keep wrestling with us as you wrestle with Jacob. Keep bringing us to your feet, the feet of the cross. That he might be our true north. And that as we have those new ears, transform us into his image. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.